Welcome back to the Career Therapy Podcast, where we explore the intersection of work and well-being. I'm your host, Coach Marty, and each episode, I interview mental health experts, coaches, and industry insiders to bring you the practical insights and tips that will help you build a meaningful, rewarding, and sustainable career. So join me as we explore the path to career satisfaction, one conversation at a time. In today's episode, we sit down with Bob Goodwin, the president and founder of Career Club and host of the Career Club podcast, where he helps people find roles that match their strengths within companies that enable them to thrive. Our discussion centers around how to utilize marketing and sales skills in your job search and what you need to do to remove ego and overcome fears of rejection. Additionally, we talk about why being the most helpful candidate is better than being the most impressive candidate when making your next career transition. If you like the Career Therapy Podcast, please leave us a review on Spotify and iTunes. Share this episode with a friend or leave a comment on YouTube so we can help more people navigate their way to a better career. That's all for the intro. Now let's dive into this conversation with Bob Goodwin. Bob, thank you for joining us today. I'm so excited to chat with you about bringing that sort of sales and marketing mindset into things as well as touching on some of the mental or emotional blockers uh, that come up throughout the job search. Before we jump into it, I'd love for you to just give a little bit of your background and what brought you into this career space in your career. Yeah, well, first of all, Martin, great to be with you. And thanks so much for uh, inviting me. I've been looking forward to our conversation. So thank you. Um, Yeah. So the tell me about yourself is I'm a sales leader, sales executive for the past 20 plus years. Um, and I love sales, but my clients have been big marketers like Procter and Gamble, Coca-Cola, Samsung, people like that. And so I've learned a lot about marketing along the way because that's who we were selling to. And so kind of professionally, that's me on the more personal side. I love to network. I love connecting people. That's like a positive energy thing for me to connect to people that are going to enjoy knowing each other. And when you get in that networking, you know, kind of loop. Uh, a lot of times you end up meeting people who are in job transition because they're actively networking. And what became immediately apparent to me was it was a big sales and marketing exercise, this job search that people were on, but they tended to not know very much about sales or marketing and why should they? And yet so much of what they were trying to do would benefit and does benefit from sales and marketing principles. So I found that a lot of the advice that I was giving people they're like, oh my gosh, this is really good. Nobody's told this to me before. And over time, you know, started writing LinkedIn posts, speaking in front of job search groups while still keeping my corporate job. And then uh, at the end of 2020, I kind of took my own medicine with the way that we would coach a client is to, you know, one circle, identify what you're really good at. Second circle, what do you really care about? If you can blend those two things, that's the sweet spot. And for me, Career Club was that by bringing sales and marketing tools, techniques, uh, philosophies to job search and helping candidates find a career that matters to them. I love that. And when it comes to the sales and marketing stuff, I think it is a really interesting area uh, to dig into because on the one hand, if you're in sales or marketing, sure, you have to learn these things, right? For your career and for your job search. And it's wonderful that the two things overlap. But then you get people who are in the medical world or they're developers and they're shy and they're introverted and all these different things. Um, when we try to get people who are not marketers and not salespeople to do marketing and sales activities, it can often bring up a lot of uh, weird reactions or feelings or pushback. And I'm curious what kind of pushback you've seen from people who are not in the marketing and advertising world. I mean, that's, you know, where I come from as well. So when someone said you have to network, I'm like, well, of course, when someone said you have to create a brand, I'm like, yeah, duh. But for anyone who's not in that world, it can be a bit jarring. What what sort of pushback have you seen as people have been no, trying to question. adapt these things? Yeah. Yeah. So like I said, I, I, that's a great question. I think um, one is the language of business is numbers and people using adjectives to talk about, well, you know, I'm creative, I'm a problem solver, you know, I'm a strategic thinker. I'm like, well, that's all cool. But, you know, adjectives aren't accomplishments and the language of business is numbers. And like, how do you measure your impact? And, and that's one of the things that people are like, oh, crap. Like, I don't know, like, I haven't really thought of it that way. 
yeah, I was just on this development team and we just cranked out stuff. Well, okay, but like, how, how do you actually articulate how you contributed to the company in, in their achievement of what their goals are? Um, the other thing that I would say just kind of on the brand piece, is, and I was on a conversation with a client earlier this morning, it's the, I don't want to sound like I'm bragging. And so they downplay you know, what they've done because they don't want to sound like an egomaniac that, you know, uh, like, you know, I did all this great stuff. And, and so they kind of overcorrect and they downplay what they've done. And they'll, they'll talk about, we, we, we did all this stuff, which is true, but you need to be able to articulate what was your role in a group? Were you leading it? How were you contributing and making the group better? So, you know, those are like two major areas of pushback. And then the other, that's kind of on the marketing side of it. On the sales side of it, the pushback is just this natural reluctance because, you know, I don't have data to support this except anecdotal, that most people are introverts. Like I always tease this. I'm like, my wife doesn't want to call the pizza guy, you know? And so to your point, hey, you need to start networking. I'm like, duh. And my wife's like, uh. Like that freaks her out to even think about that. And some of the pushback is one, just like, that's weird. Two is I'm using people. I feel like I'm just trying to be manipulative and, and just trying to use them for something. And so that that's a bit of feedback uh, you know, that we get from people is like, how can I do this in a way that doesn't just make me feel like a net user of other people? And this is where that psychology comes in and the emotional stuff comes in too, because that feeling of using people, that feeling of being manipulative. Um, I had someone comment on a recent um, YouTube video. They're like, so what you're telling me is I need to stock people and stock companies. And I was like, well, in the business world, that's called networking, but yes. <laughs> and, and it's just <laughs> such a funny thing. So like, let's dig into these words, manipulation, using people, stalking, like this is how I think people who haven't been um, adjusted into the business marketing sales world view a lot of these mm -hmm. things. Like I'll just give someone a tool like Clearbit Connect, which allows you to find people's emails. And they're like, okay. what are you talking about? You want me to find someone's email that's, you know, through with a tool, a salesperson's like, oh yeah, no, I already use that. <laughs> and so these are such yeah, interesting yeah, things. So let's dig in. Like when so people the, feel the, like they're being manipulative, what 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 do you say? Yeah, on the emotional side. So so one is that that kind of manipulative bit. The other piece, and I think this is really bad, is shame. That that people are feeling a lot of shame, particularly you know we're in an era right now as we record this of layoffs and people being let go from their company and their self worth takes a major hit. And so they're just like feeling very shameful about what's happened. Their, their self-esteem is quite low. I remember one time I, I met with a guy and he was feeling the shame piece of this. And his body language, Martin, was like he was backing away from me, even as we're getting introduced, we're meeting at a Starbucks. And he's apologizing for taking up my time. And it's like, I know you're really busy. And like, I am so sorry. Like, you know, I, I, I know you've got better things. I'm like, whoa, 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 slow down take a breath. I want to be here. I want to help you if I can. And what came out of that, the, the reason this, that particular interaction was so meaningful to me was that, that it produced the first LinkedIn article I ever wrote called the most powerful question you can ask. And this is all in the context of networking. I think this is, if people don't take anything else from whatever it is that you and I end up talking about today, th this is the, the, the one little life hack is going into any kind of a networking meeting with the intention of seeing how you can help the other person. So the most powerful question you can ask is, Martin, you know, how can I be of help to you personally or professionally? So now we're having an adult to adult conversation, right? It's not alms for the poor, you know, please help me, you know, we'll, we'll network for job kind of a thing. But, but it's like, wait a minute, I've got talents, you know, I know people, I know things, I've got accomplishments. Like if I can leverage any of that to be of help to you, Martin, like that's one of my goals for this meeting. And it's like, whoa, that's a completely different mindset than coming in like, man, I hope this guy's got a, a job lead for me. Like, I hope this guy knows the CEO of the company I want to work at. Well, not that that's a terrible thing, but it's just 
how you can reorient yourself mentally, emotionally. Now, wait a minute, I bring value to this conversation. So whether it's lifting my self-esteem or not being you know, afraid of being looked at as a net user here, it's like, no, I want to help. I want to contribute to our, and, and I think your networking is really about relationships and that that's the hallmark of a healthy relationship, right? Sometimes I'm the giver, sometimes I'm the taker, but then that's okay. That's just the nature of a real relationship. There's so many different elements that you brought up there. And one of the ones I want to dig into first is this feeling of shame and self-worth, uh, lowered self-worth that happens when you lose a job. And this is a very complicated topic to get into, but one of the things that I want to just discuss with you is maybe maybe some of the reasons why we feel so much shame and lowered self-worth. You know, six weeks earlier, you might have felt like, I'm doing decent at my job. I, I know what I'm doing. My career is on track. And then layoffs happen. And suddenly we feel like we're not able to be a marketer ever again, or we're not able to do our our profession that we've been doing for 40 years ever again. Um, so, you know, when it is business, but it feels personal, what can people do to sort of shake that, that, that response that they have? Well, I think you just said one thing, which is it's business, right? You know, and, and, you know, unfortunately, sometimes we get caught up being the cell in a spreadsheet as a company's trying to make a number. And it's like, actually, you do really good work. Unfortunately, we've got to work our cash flow down because we're not going to be able to raise another round of capital. We thought it was going to be in, in a year. Now it's going to last us three years. And we're just burning too much cash. So you're awesome. We love you. Like, like we wish we weren't having this conversation. So it's actually not personal. It is just, you know, uh, business and financial. I think another reason that uh, people feel this way is they really don't have a good handle on what their accomplishments are. Like they don't really have it. Like I know how I contribute and I can articulate that. And a lot of times you, you, you've seen this a million times too on a resume, people will have their scope of responsibility on there, but they won't have how they actually contributed. And so when you know how you contribute, that's a big deal. And one of the things that we talk about, Martin, is the four C's. And this, this kind of starts to relate into interviewing a little bit too, but the four C's are convictions. Like, I know I'm good at this. Like, I, I there's a body of work. That's not being, and this also addresses sort of that afraid to be braggadocious. It's like, I, there, there's a portfolio of work here. Like, it's like saying it's 72 degrees outside. That's not bragging. It's just a fact. It's a nice day out. The, the, this is how I've contributed to other companies. So, but having conviction around both your contributions and your values. And when we've got those convictions, it leads to clarity. So it's like, hey, I'm a really good marketer. Marketing is what I want to do. Could I go do some other things? I guess. But sometimes a mistake that we see people making is, well, I've done HR and finance and ops and sales. And they think that they're leaving, you know, the really opening up the spigot of opportunities. And from a branding perspective, just confusing people. And it's like, well, you can't be good at all those things. And I don't even know what you are, right? Because you're telling me you're like five different things and I don't know what to do with you. So you go to the junk drawer of my mind because I don't even know what you are. And I don't think you know what you are. But when you've got that clarity that's grounded in convictions, and this is the trick we're getting to, to the punchline, is when you've got clarity, clarity breeds confidence a healthy and appropriate level of confidence. I'm not making crap up. I'm not trying to guess the right answer. What's Martin want me to say, you know, whether it's in a networking or an interview context, like this is just true for me. You know, I'm just sort of telling you and I'm very proud, proud in again, an appropriate way of, you know, what I've been able to do and what I'm looking for. And so those are three C's convictions lead to clarity. Clarity breeds confidence. And the fourth C is, confidence is contagious. When you believe, you make me believe. When we're confident, we sit up straighter, we modulate differently, our eyes are more open, we smile, right? And all those things tell me, like, this dude's a real deal. This lady really does do this stuff. Like, I can see her working here and contributing in a very positive way. Those are all the things that kind of lead to, but it's all got to be grounded in convictions 
and you need to know your story. And, and we did a LinkedIn post this week on the gift of time. One of the reasons people don't know their story is because they've never taken the time to figure it out. They've just sort of moved from job to job. Their boss at their last company called them, brought them over to this company. It's all been good until it's not. And it's like, well, there's a reason I don't know my story. I've never had to craft it before. You know, gravity has pulled me in my career and all of a sudden that got turned off. And there's a reason I, I feel low and bad because I actually have never taken the time I actually had the gift of time to to sit down and go, actually, I need to pause. This is actually going to be a good thing for me. And, and I think that's a really big contributor that, that leads people to not know their story, which in turn makes their self-esteem take a hit. Yeah. And that, long that avoidance. Side. No, I love it. These are the, this is exactly what the podcast is for these long answers. Um, when it comes to not knowing our story, it brings up this concept of avoidance to me because there's there's ample opportunity to figure out our story right um throughout our careers you can do it as you go you know there's it's it doesn't have to be this huge grand narrative of you changing the world i think there's a lot of pressure in the find your passion change the world kind of side of the internet where it's like, not only do you need to know your story, but you need to be impacting the world. And I, I always love talking to certain startups and, um, you know, founders that are maybe really into their ego at the time that I'm talking to them, where they say things like, we're changing the world with what we're doing with this product. And I'm like, you're not even answering your customer uh, inquiries like in a timely manner. What are you talking about changing the world? Like a lot of times or, there's or, this pressure. Or dude, those are M&Ms. You're selling M&Ms. Like <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure M&Ms are changing the world exactly. But right. Okay, whatever. Exactly. It's like whatever. I mean, whatever gets you up in the morning. And so, but I do find that a lot of times people avoid um, doing this because they they feel like if they sit down and actually write out their story, they won't be proud of it or they won't be motivated by it or they don't feel like it's big enough. And I'm curious if you've come across that in any ways. Maybe a little bit. And, and I might look at this from a slightly different lens, and, and but mm -hmm. I think it gets to where we're going, which is, um, again, most people are not, haven't been that reflective so one of the things that we do, I'm, I'm a strength finders fan. I, I think that it, it's cool because, um, again, my observation is most people, you know, are not that self-reflective. We just don't take the time to, we're too busy working on the next proposal, project delivery, whatever it is. Um, and then with this gift of time, doing something like strength finders, and, and again, you don't need, you could do this right now and be done in 30 minutes. It's 20 or 25 bucks. And it will tell you your top five strengths. And so one is just sort of the realization of, oh, wow, didn't know that. And then two, I think sometimes we have a kind of a sense for what it is, but we lack the vocabulary to properly describe it. And strength finders and, and other things like strength finders, I'm not like completely married to that one, but it gives us vocabulary to talk about it. And it's like, oh, yeah. And, and so now like that helps me. It, it kind of sheds some light. Another way that I think that uh, people can get some help in this is talking with former colleagues, bosses, people that were on the team with you, maybe the client if you're in a client-facing role. So one of the, the places that we see people have trouble is creating their star stories. You know, which is essentially like, you know, how did you make an impact and, and what impact did you make and, and how? And they're like, Ooh, I don't know. I mean, like we worked on that segmentation project, but I'm not really sure whatever happened with it. Okay, cool. Why don't we talk to, you know, who your in client was with that segmentation project or other people that are on the team with you? And they're like, Come on, Martin, don't you remember? Like what ended up happening was that turned out to be, you know, what lit the fuse on that whole innovation project is because we we found out that there's sort of this third segment that we'd never looked at. And that turned out to be a $35 million product line for us. Oh, I didn't I didn't know that. 
I left the company before, you know, it went to market. I, I never knew what happened with that. So I think whether it's kind of on those personality attributes or on contributions, sometimes this is probably harsh, but it's just ignorance. I, I just don't know. And sometimes we need somebody from the outside, you know, to, to help us get some clarity on that. Absolutely. Yeah. Cause I do think when I'm, when we're talking about these things, whether it's imposter syndrome or telling your story or just sitting down to do this work, a lot of times the reason that we don't do it is because of that fear, right? Fear that if I sit down and do this, I'll learn something about myself that I don't want to know, or I will write my story and I won't feel good about it or whatever the thing might be. But what you actually find is when you act, when you learn the vocabulary, use that vocabulary to build your story, to write your story, and then that story shows your value, it really can help overcome that imposter syndrome. And I do feel, you know, even with prepping for interviews, we know what questions are coming and people still don't know how to answer them, right? Tell me about yourself is going to be the first question in 98% of interviews. And yet someone will get asked that question. I'll do a mock interview with someone and they'll go, well, where do you want me to start? And I'll say, wherever you want. And they'll say, do you want me to do professional or personal? And I'll say, whatever you want to do. And I'm like, why are we starting this inter this mock interview with an argument? Like you should have something in the chamber ready to go. And I think that that's when we get into the marketing and sales side of things, there's, there's, it almost feels like inauthentic to a lot of people who haven't had to do sales or haven't had to do marketing. It feels inauthentic yes. to be ready with an answer. Um, they feel like everything has to come from this like beautifully genuine, authentic place that is totally transparent and shows all their insecurities just to make sure that no one thinks too much of them or something. And I'm, I, I, I'm trying to figure out like what that's about and why people feel such a, a draw to be that way. Um, and I wonder if it's like pressure from companies for their, for people to be too authentic, or if it's just something psychologically that we all have. I'm curious when, when you see people yeah. starting to learn these things, what are the breakthroughs that they find? Like to go from, okay, I don't so, know so, how to tell my story. Yeah. yeah. A couple of things. So, so one is I like to say organic. You're talking about that needs to come from this really, you know, just visceral place inside. I like to say organic means ain't got no plan. You know, so no, we just sort of did it organically. That means because you guys didn't have a plan. That's really what you're saying. You know, I, I remember talking with the client. Well, I was just hoping we could have a more organic conversation. Well, that means you don't have, you've done no prep. That's really what you're saying. And, and I think part of it, and maybe this will kind of be a bridge to the sales piece of it, is again, that's starting to feel salesy. Like, you know, I've kind of got my rehearsed lines and, you know, I, I need to go get a plaid sports coat and, you know, go work on a car lot someplace because this feels really salesy and sales has you know, a very negative connotation uh, some people listening to this will be familiar with dan pink uh, who's written a number of really great books but one of them is to sell as human and and it's exactly around what we're talking about right now is we're selling just means persuading somebody to what we think is in their best interest. So like if you're a parent, you're you're selling your kids on cleaning their room, doing their homework, you know, not eating jelly beans all the time, whatever you're your doctor selling you on, you know, lose 10 pounds, stop smoking, you know, and, and maybe eat more vegetables. You know, you're selling your boss trying to get more budget or why you should be promoted. Like we're selling all the time, but we don't call it sales. And where it gets really weird is when I'm the product, right? Which is basically what job search is, is I'm selling myself. And again, because of people's natural reticence to brag, what they perceive as bragging, then they don't want to go all the way. The thing with preparation, and my gosh, that, that whole thing on tell me about yourself, I'm cracking up because at Career Club, we do a weekly roundtable call with our members. And that was the curriculum this Monday was tell me about yourself. And Bob's going first. And, and so it's like, okay, you know, I'll go first. And you could see some people were prepared. And to your exact point, you know, this question's coming. Like, why, <laughs> why are you not preparing for this? Um, and then as we got people who would, okay, Bob, I'll go next. Okay, I'll go next. 
and all of a sudden it sort of wound down and it's all people weren't prepared and they're like oh crap it was a little bit well where do you want me to start kind of thing again and and what people don't know is a big part of that that question of tell me about yourself is can you communicate can you organize and communicate in a concise clear way a concept an idea in this case you and and that's why you're very comfortable i don't know wherever you want to start wherever you want to start because it's up to you this is your essay not mine and so i think that that but preparation and you, you talked about interviews i'm like th this is what we just completely double down on with clients is the key is all in the preparation like why would i expect to make an a on a test i didn't study for well then why aren't you preparing for this interview because it's a test right and you're going to either pass the test or not pass the test and if you didn't study for it again why would you expect to to do well on it and yet there's some like you say well either i didn't know or it feels you know, I, I read the job description 15 times. I made a bunch of notes. Yeah, that's good. You should be. And then you should be tailoring your, tailoring your answers to what the common themes are and what they're telling you. They're giving you the breadcrumbs of how to pass the test. It's an open book test. But people, again, sometimes feel like that's cheating to take the clues they've given you. And it's not. It's just being smart. That's such a great way to put it. It's an open book test. It's not cheating if you use the resources. Um, it is not cheating. And so um, when we think about these things, uh, in order to sell someone else, we first have to sell ourselves. And I think when we don't do that pre-work that you're talking about, that's the missing step. And everyone is so worried about imposter syndrome. How do I overcome imposter syndrome? What is the hack to getting over my imposter syndrome? And there's all these questions about that. And I'm like, I don't know, go, go online and type that in and you're going to see a bunch of crackpot answers. Like, uh, you know, just, you know, visualize it or something like that. And, 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 you know, these yes, are maybe yes. directionally your right. Power pose, Martin. Martin, you just need to do more power posing. Fun. <laughs> yeah, just, just, you know, I don't even know. And so uh, the truth is, is that you overcome imposter syndrome by selling yourself on yourself. And until you can convince yourself that you're not a piece of crap, who doesn't do a good job and got fired because you deserved it, like that, and I'm being a little harsh today, but like, that's, that is what we have to get past. We have to get past this concept that we don't deserve anything and not deserve in the way of like, you deserve it with no effort, but deserve in the way that like you've been putting in the work. You don't discredit every job you've had just because it's not the exact title that you're applying to right now. Don't discredit every yes. every job board posting because you don't have 100% of what's there. So how do we actually take these um, approaches, these sales, marketing, psychological approaches to sell ourselves on ourselves? Like how could a salesperson who doesn't necessarily think that their company's product is the greatest thing on the planet, still go out and sell it. You know, we know our insecurities. We know where we're at fault. We still have to go out and put a good face forward. Um, do you have any thoughts around how we might be able to better convince yeah, ourselves? We had a client, we had a client recently who is a uh, procurement slash supply chain person, worked at one of the largest retailers in the country doing his category for supply chain and procurement. And then he went to a specialty retailer that that's the only category that they sold. And, and they were quite large also. He wanted to relocate to his hometown. And so he was trying to find a job in, back in his hometown, still working. And he was so afraid that they were going to figure out that he didn't know what he was talking about. And I'm like, dude, are you kidding me? Like you've worked at the large, one of the largest retailers in the U.S., specializing in this category. Then you worked at one of the largest specialty retailers that only does this category. Who are they possibly going to find that knows more than you do about this or appreciably more than you do about this? They don't exist. He's at this company now. He's still struggling with they're going to find me out. And, and the fear 
is, I don't know exactly what the fear is grounded in, but what we've tried to help him with, and this gets back to the four C's of you need to document your body of work. And, and back to the salesperson who's maybe not selling the greatest thing, you still need to know where you're competitive, right? Your marketing people have given you some kind of material on what makes you guys competitive. What does it always come down to? Better, faster, cheaper, pick two. So like, what is your value proposition? You know, where do you, where do you contribute? What is, what do you do? And again, you made an, a, a really good point earlier when you were talking about like, it doesn't have to be this massive, you know, exercise to do. You know, one of the things that we try and encourage people to do is to just document the wins as they come. Worst case is it's going to help you during your review you know, and, you know, when you've got to do the 360 review and how you've contributed and, you know, what you've done, why you deserve a raise or the bonus or whatever. But it's also kind of like this living, breathing document that, you know, when you do need to update your resume for whatever reason, you're not starting from ground zero on what you've done. So I believe for most people, the biggest problem is that they just haven't taken the time to do it. And then when you get punched in the nose by losing your job, it's like, they just told me, they just rejected me basically. And I don't have anything to fall back on. It tells me I do know what the heck I'm doing. And so, yeah, I can see where you can just get very stuck, you know, in a negative cycle. And we were talking before, you know, that negative cycle, depressed people don't get out of bed. They don't do any activities because they don't feel good about themselves. I was working with a client one time and she could recite to me chapter and verse on the process that she needed to be doing. And I'm like, okay, Amy, stop. What is preventing you from pressing send on those networking you know, invites? What's preventing you from pressing send to reaching out to the hiring manager at a company that you think is pretty cool? Martin, she broke into tears. She's like, because I don't think they're going to want me. Why would they want me? And it's exactly what you're describing. It was what was preventing her from doing the work because she was afraid it was just the precursor to a rejection or an outing of her lack of skills, which was completely not true. But we've got this vision in our head there's somebody out there that is a 12 on a 10 point scale and that's who's going to get the job and and I, I shouldn't even try women this is interesting women will only apply for jobs when they feel like they meet at least 80 percent this is from mckenzie that they they you know meet at least 80 or 85 percent of the qualifications men 60 percent not sure what the heck i'll do i'll give it a go you know but but women are even worse about this. I can say worse in the right way, about because they're so restrictive about what they'll even let themselves be put out there for. So it, it's a very interesting phenomenon, but it's pretty universal. And it does feel like a lot of this comes down to comparison and a lot of imaginary comparison. Com the way you put it, there's that person out there that's, that's a 12 on a 10 point scale. Apparently that person's applying for every single job I'm applying to and competing with me for every single role. And I do find, you know, the the self-work to feel good about ourselves, to get over depression, to get ourselves out of bed, overcome anxiety, overcome fear of rejection. All of that stuff is incredibly important. And it's a really big piece of what we talk about on this podcast. You know, a lot of therapy, a lot of digging into your past about past rejections in order to let go yes. of things and, and, and work towards the future. But I also, I also think, and this is, this is maybe a, another sales and marketing thing that I've picked up along the years, is you gotta start shitting on the rest of the world a little bit. Like you gotta bring down your view of these companies and these people that you're competing against and these industries that you want to be in. You know, I'll have someone be like, "Well, I want to work in fintech, but I could never work in fintech." And I'm like, "Why not? It's finance." Like get a job and find it. Like what's so just cause you like it, you put it on a pedestal and then you feel like you don't deserve it. Yes. So you're going to apply to the medical field. But then I talked to someone who wants to work in the medical field and they're like, well, I could never work in the medical field. Cause that's what everyone wants. No, it's what you want to do. It's what you want to do. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's this like 
you know, I'll have someone be like, oh, I have an interview at this company and I just don't, you know, I have imposter syndrome. I don't deserve it. And they go through all the stuff that we've been talking about. And I go to the company's website and it's garbage. And like the company just is not even that impressive. But for some reason, because they have that little bit of power over us, we put ourselves in the toilet and them up on the top of a mountain. And I want to, I've been trying so hard to figure out how to even those well, scales. Well, so what I, what I think a lot of this is about is rejection avoidance, right? So I'm going to make the decision for them before they have the chance to reject me. Right. And, and that's a self-preservation move, right. And, you know, kind of at our most primal, you know, we're trying to preserve ourselves. You know, we're just trying to to see another day. And, you know, when that ego threat of being rejected is looming, then I'm gonna I'm gonna beat it to the punch because it feels better coming from me than coming from them. You know, but one of the things that we, we tell clients, and, and this is sales 101, full stop. The road to yes is littered with no. The road to yes is littered with no. You know, this ride that we're on in a job search, by definition, is going to be filled with rejection. But if I put it in sales parlance, you know, you've got a quota as a salesperson. The good news is your quota is one. You only need one new job. You don't need 100. Like, you don't need to, well, all of tech is laying off people, so I won't apply to any tech company. Really? Like, you need exactly one job. There's not one tech company, there's not one fintech, there's not one, you know, medical company out there that thinks that what you do and has a need for you. Because, oh, by the way, there's twice as many job postings right now as there are candidates. So guess what? Companies are desperate for talent. And, you know, they're, again, I don't know that they're looking for the 12 out of 10 person exactly. But, you know, there's a, hey, we really like you. You know, there's some things here I think that you know, you'll be able to grow in your career that we'll be able to teach you. But you bring some things that we don't have because you're, you're a digital marketer and we suck at digital marketing. You know, we'll teach you the category because we have a thousand people here who know the category. We got nobody that knows digital marketing. And so, you know, it's I think the, the primary thing is a fear of rejection. But then if people understand it's just the nature of the beast, that's sales. A lot of people are going to tell you no. The good news is you only need one person to say yes. And it's kind of the Thomas Edison. Gosh, it looks like you've really been failing at inventing the, the light bulb. You've tried it a thousand times. He's like, I just figured out a thousand ways that don't work. Like, I only need one way that works. And yet it's very hard for a non-salesperson to get their mind wrapped around that until they just start getting out there and doing it. I like how you phrase that because it's not, you know, as I always go hyperbolic when I start to try and even those scales a little bit. But I do think that one of the things people can really just sort of chew on from this conversation is the concept that they're hiring you because they're missing something. They're not a perfect company that wants to bring you in to make you feel bad. They're a flawed company because every company is missing things. No company has everything figured out. And they're looking for help. And this brings it back to your point earlier, where it's not really about us. It's not about how awesome we are and how amazing we are and how we're going to fix everything and we should know everything on day one. It's just about our ability to go in there and say, hey, I might not know everything, but I can figure it out for you so you can go focus on other things. And I'll take on the responsibility of Googling. And I always, one of the things I say to people, it's it's not everything knowing everything on day one, it's saying, with enough time and access to Google, I'll do this for you so you don't have to. <laughs> and that really lowers the expectation, I think, a little bit. Today's episode of the podcast is brought to you by Career Therapy's Unstuck Coaching Program, which was built to give you the personalized support you need to advance in your career without fear and turn work-related anxiety into professional accomplishments. When you enroll in the Unstuck Coaching Program's monthly membership, you get immediate access to all of the coaching resources you need to crush it in your job search. This includes two one-on-one -on -one calls with Coach Marty every month, 
weekly job search support group sessions with the Unstuck community, access to the Unstuck curriculum, which guides you through every aspect of your job search from strategy through negotiations, and an invite to the Career Therapy Slack channel where you can chat with Coach Marty whenever job search questions come up. Want to see if the Unstuck coaching program is right for you? Head over to careertherapy.com and schedule a free consultation with me in order to find out. I want to bring it back to some of the tactics here. You brought up tailoring our answers to the company in the interview. And I want to go a little bit deeper into how much should people be tailoring resumes, cover letters, interview questions. When it comes to, you know, scale, you know, online applications, you have to send a lot out. In-person networking, you have to be more diligent and more focused. Where are the areas that people should be really tailored in what they're doing? And where should they just be a little bit more like mass marketing in their work? Yeah, so so um, that's a great question. Um, it depends on how far down the funnel you are with a given opportunity. Um, you know, if you're applying for stuff online, I think the numbers are something like, yeah, the average corporate job posting gets 250 applications. So I don't know what the exact math on one over 250 is, but it's not good. I think it's 0.4 of a percent. So th- those are kind of your lottery ticket odds of getting that job. I'm not going to go completely nutty on trying to tailor my resume when my odds are less than one less than one half of 1% of getting that job. If, if, Hey, I've got a fintech resume and I've got a martech resume because I could do both. Okay, well, that's cool. Like you should at least do that for the fintech opportunity center fintech resume. I think you know, kind of the current you know, belief is that cover letters don't get read a whole lot. So again, how hard do I want to try on a cover letter? Um, but if now interviewing is a completely different thing. The way I say it is the resume might get you the interview. The stories you tell will get you the job. The resume might get you the interview. The stories you tell will get you the job. That's where you really need to be doubling down your effort. And, you know, so then people get concerned, like, well, I don't have like a hundred answers for a hundred potential questions. Like that's an impossible math assignment. And it is, I agree. But what you need to think of it is like a playlist. And so you've got, you know, between eight and 12 core stories that you tell. Eight to 12 primary stories. They're going to get at things like, tell me about a big success. Tell me about a failure. Tell me about, you know, a difficult client. Tell me about, you know, working on a team. You know, all those sorts of things that we know are coming. And then the way that, that we say it is, if you've got a playlist of songs, you remix them. And you remix them based on the opportunity there, where again, open book tests, they're telling you what's important to them, but then also remix them based on who you're talking to. So if I'm interviewing with the CFO and I've got a big sales success story, I'm going to emphasize the profitability of that, right? And not only did I hit a number, but it was really profitable. If I'm telling that same story to the chief revenue officer, it's going to be about growth. If I'm telling it to the CEO, it's going to be why it was strategically important. If I'm telling it to the CHRO, it's how we worked in a team. It was collaborative and cross-functional because that's the language that each one of those people speaks due to the nature of their function. So again, I don't need a million different stories for a million different potential things that I might be asked or by whom I might be asked. I need a core set of stories that I need to be fluid enough to remix, to be relevant, because that's the thing is people are looking for relevance. Do Can I envision you working here? It's interesting that you did that thing for Kraft Heinz, but what I'm really doing, the calculus I'm doing in my head is, does she have the skills, does she have the attributes to solve the problems that we're trying to solve here. And it's incumbent upon the candidate to connect those dots for the interviewer, not for the interviewer to figure it out on their own. So does that make sense? Makes perfect sense. And I think connecting the dots for the interviewer is such a great 
thing to focus in on. Um, one of the things I try to talk to people about is like, you have to make it so easy because they're distracted. They have their own lives. They have their own work. This is probably not their interviewing is probably not their full-time thing at this company. They probably got pulled away from something else. They didn't do their research. They don't know about you. And I see people take that personally. They'll be like, oh my gosh, I did so much research on this company. And the person interviewing me didn't even look at my resume. It's like, of course they didn't. They have so much going on in their life. <laughs> like this, this is your full-time thing trying to find a job. It is not their full-time thing at the company. And I do think that it's That's really exactly, important yeah. um, as we get to that tying it back to the company also takes the focus off ourselves because it is important to know ourselves and know our story and do all those things. But we, that's where a lot of the insecurities crop in and, and people can get really worried about things. And I always try to say, like separate your self-worth from your skill, from your job and all these different things from your salary. It's about the skills you're selling. And I, I, I think that there's maybe some nuance there where it's like, are you selling yourself or are you selling these skills that you have? And the company has problems. You have skills. They're sell they're trying to get someone in this role. You're trying to use these skills to, to fix those problems. And I think what you said there, they're looking for relevance. They're not looking for someone who's perfect. They're looking for someone who is willing to help solve these problems. And so sell that solution. And I think, when we look at things like the star method, which you brought up earlier, where it's situation, task, action, result, we're telling our stories in a kind of a story arc. I always like to put an L at the end of that, of what did you learn from that, that you're going to take into this next role and tie it back to the company. I think a lot of times when we're interviewing, it's like question, answer, silence. And we forget to tie it back to the company and what they want, because it's really way more exactly. about them than us. That that's exactly it, and and I appreciate you saying that because that's the whole thing is that and that's why remixing part of remixing a story is making it relevant in their context, in in the language in a way that they can best receive it and connect those dots. That that's the exact problem we're trying to solve. I know because you guys already told. I've been learning that as I've been interviewing with other people at your company, so I'm continuing to kind of add that knowledge of what I'm learning about what you guys are solving for and continuing to hone my stories to be even more relevant as I get more information. One thing I'll say too about STAR is uh, we replace the T with from task to thought process. Because at the end of the day, I'm hiring your brain. I want to know how you think about stuff, right? And, and so we say, well, the situation was, you know, we were losing market share to our biggest competitor. So the way that we thought about this and, and the approach that, you know, I brought to the team was we needed to segment the market out into three different, because it wasn't a monolithic market. What we found was that, you know, there, there, this one need was being really unmet by the biggest segment. So the action we took was, and the result was. So it's like, I love how you think right? That's what I'm hiring. I need people that know how to think. And so, um, and then I love your L, which is, which is brilliant. Well, I, I appreciate these think. variations that you're sharing here because um, I, I changed the T as well because task people get confused. On. I changed it to problem. So situation is who are you working with? Where are you working at? What was the problem that arose? And so I think someone said once, oh, spiral so you don't spiral. And I was like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I think the point here of you and I adjusting these things, right? All of the information around the job search that people get, they try to, I see people try to fit into like, oh, I have to do it this way. I have to do it. It's like, no, take the resources and make them your own. Make this more fun for yourself. You don't have to just like, it told me this. So computer algorithm, this it's, it's, it really is a personal approach that you get to develop throughout your career of how you want to approach these things. Just because someone says you have to network over coffee doesn't mean that's the way you have to do it. I've seen people network over clash of clans, Slack groups, which is like, I don't even know what that is. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and so, I thought you're super hip. I was like, oh, okay, sure. Yeah. And so like, these are really wild things. And um, I'm curious as as we do tell people to work on their story and put themselves out there and and really uh, figure these things out. Where do you think personal brand plays into it in let's say 2023? How have things changed? How much social media should people doing? How much personal outreach should people doing? If we got really into the weeds here, just to give people a baseline to play with, what do you think? Um, how much does brand play into it versus just relationships, or are they the same thing? 
No, 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 they're not. They're not. Um, we we talk about airing bad commercials. And so we just had the Super Bowl a couple weeks ago, right? And most people, football is incidental to the commercials because people want to see the ads and hope there's going to be something really funny or whatever. And the thing about a Super Bowl is you are in front of as many eyeballs as you can possibly be in front of at one point in time. That's cool. That's a lot of networking, basically, to make the analogy. But if your ad sucks, like that was a bad bad thing to go do because now a lot of people know about a brand that isn't very good because your commercial sucked, right? Similarly, and we are really adamant about this, you sometimes have to slow down to speed up. So sometimes when people have lost jobs, they just want to get busy because every minute that I'm not out there networking and talking to people, like I'm wasting time and they're just like super hurried. And it's like, stop, slow down, breathe. You need to know your story which I'm kind of uh, using as what's your personal brand. So how do you contribute? What are the problems that you solve? How do you do that uniquely? And again, not just hard skills that I'm a Python programmer, but also, you know, one of the things that Strength Finders taught me is that, you know, I'm very collaborative. I like coding with other people. I find the coding comes out better and we actually get the work done faster. We have fewer reworks, blah, blah, blah. It's like, okay, so... It's you need to know your story and how you contribute before you go doing a lot of networking. Uh, another kind of problem with that is if you don't know your brand first is people don't know how to help you. And, and, and so it's like, well, what are you looking for? Well, I'm not really sure. Well, if that's like asking me directions on how to get someplace, but you don't know where you want to go. Like, I don't know how to get to, I don't know. So you need to know your personal brand. A, a networking call is an interview. People don't understand that. I've had people like, you know, look like they just got to clean their toilet and show up for an inter uh, a networking call. Because like, well, no, man, you know, it's just a networking call. And it's like, well, you're asking me to put my personal brand on you. And right now that's not happening. And so then people go, oh, I do a lot of networking. It didn't really work. Well, no kidding. Like, why would it have worked? Like, you 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 sort of half-ass showed up for it, and you don't know your story. You weren't looking to see how you could bring value to the other person. You know, all you wanted was red meat. Of do you know of a job lead for me? No, you're dead to me. Goodbye. <laughs> it's like you're like you messed the whole thing up. So yeah, personal brand and now networking is the activity. Personal brand is the content. And, and they have to work together or else it's going to be an extremely frustrating process for people. Yeah, I think a lot of the um, online advice is like personal brand is about your, you know, your image or whatever it might be. And in, in, in some respects it is, but I do think it's just like the way you show up to everything, right? It's, it's going to come through. Uh, sometimes you want to formalize it, sometimes you don't. But definitely, <laughs> I think what people forget is what you're talking about, the like not showing up, the not doing the work prior to getting there. Um, the number of times I've had like a coaching call scheduled with, you know, a student at a school that I've worked with and they don't show up to the coaching call that they scheduled for career career coaching. I just, I look at that and I go, if you don't get the interview and you don't get the job, I kind of don't feel bad for you because you can't even make it to the half hour thing that you set up you know, and I find that to be such an interesting thing. It's a little bit callous to say <laughs> verbally, but it is one of those things where it's like, if you can't do, if you can't show up to the networking call that you scheduled, you know, that's a pretty big indicator as to what you're going to be like in this role. And I think, again, it's, there's a lot of different reasons for it, whether it's emotional or different things like that, or maybe it's just an oversight, but we do have to sort of get our ducks in a row and figure these things out in order to help people help us. We can't just expect things to happen. We have to make things happen. No, well, so, so the name of our course is Making Your Own Weather, which is exactly that. You've got agency over what's going on here. You can't just be a victim and like, you know, all this crappy stuff is happening to me. Woe is me. It's like, no, you, you always have control of your attitude. You always have control over your actions. And that is a ton of agency. Did something bad happen to you? Yes. You know, this is, is that the end of the line? A hundred percent. No, 
you always have control of your attitude and your actions. Super quick, what, what you said about, um, you know, somebody like not showing up, you're right. I mean, a friend of mine, you know, taught me a long time ago, how you go about your job search says a lot about how you go about your job. It says a lot about it. And you're really telegraphing, you know, how organized are you? How diligent are you? How prepared are you? How good of a communicator? I mean, like, it's a, it's a giant behavioral interview, basically, right? And again, people miss that. And for better or for worse, you actually get to see the real person right? Because they're not trying to put up, you know, what they think is they're just being themselves. And it's like, okay, well, you, you just told me more than you probably wanted me to know about all this. I do want to say, because you asked me twice about social media and, and I didn't really direct that. LinkedIn obviously is where we live, you know, in job search. And, you know, if you're following somebody and you just, you know, thumbs up, great post, love it, whatever, like you're not adding any value. Like anybody, you could you could program a bot to do that, and and I would have the same opinion of you and the bot at that point. But when you're following somebody who's potentially somebody of influence, somebody who can help you, like have a real comment, you know, and and either why did you really like what they said, what really resonated with you, build on the point. You know, not only is it about this, but I also have found that it also impacts here and here's why. It's like, oh, that was a very thoughtful comment. Martin, I think you know this. As content creators, I 100% know who's commenting on my stuff, right? You are you immediately got in my consciousness. So if you're trying to work at company X, and you want to work for the CMO and she's putting content out on LinkedIn. Yeah. You might want to tick the little bell and know whenever she's posting something and comment on it with a real comment. That's one thing I would highly recommend people do Two is I, we had a client, he did a brilliant job with this. He read an Adam Grant book and he said, you know, while I'm in the season of identifying my next career opportunity, I'm taking advantage to get caught up on some reading I've been meaning to do. One of the books I've been reading is Adam Grant's, whichever one it was. And, you know, what really like three takeaways I really have taken from the book are X, Y, and Z with a, you know, in, in the cover art of the book was, you know, his post. The guy got like 4,000 impressions. He had like 20 people like, dude, I didn't know you were looking for a job. Hey, let's find some time to talk. And he even had people that wanted to hire him or start interviewing him more properly. And it was brilliant. He, he was showing his brand and like what's important to him. Subtly sort of worked in. I'm looking for a job. Wasn't like, woe is me. Like, hey, recruiters suck. You know, this is the worst experience of my life. He's like, no, I'm in a job search. And, and I'm, here's how I'm using some of my time. It was a highly effective, something that we're teaching our clients to do regularly now, is how to do LinkedIn posts that aren't just forwards of somebody else's thing or whatever, but really kind of show like what they're about to resonate with the people that follow them. I love and that. It and, it, and it brings back that helpful piece that you brought up at the beginning, because it really yes. is like, he's not just saying, help me. He's saying, I'm of course could use some help, but here's, here's a helpful thing that I've come across, you know, and it's that exactly. give and take. And probably that's the book he was reading by Grant. <laughs> was probably give and take, but um, these probably are so. such amazing things. And I know we're, we're short on time. We could talk for hours, um, but where can folks find what you're up to these days and follow along and engage with your work? No, thank you. So um career.club so the company's career club and the url is career.club um so we'd welcome you to you know check us out um we have a newsletter that, that people can subscribe to the other thing is we do a lot of podcasting and would love for people to be able to follow our podcast so uh career club with bob goodwin so that's pretty easy um and we do a lot around job search human resources more broadly i've got a pretty big following around consumer packaged goods, retail, data and analytics kinds of things. But uh, as, as you know, Martin, podcasting is a ton of fun and I uh, would encourage people to uh, subscribe to that as well. Nice. And we'll link all of those things in the description. So go check them out. Bob, thank you so much for joining us today. This was an absolutely wonderful awesome. conversation. Right, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Awesome. Thank you. 
Thanks for joining us for today's episode. If you found this conversation to be helpful, please like and subscribe wherever you are listening. We also appreciate it if you take the time to leave us a review on iTunes. It really does help us spread the word and get these ideas out to more job seekers looking to build their careers and improve their lives just like you. If you'd like to learn more about career therapy and see our different coaching options, you can head over to careertherapy.com to learn more. Thank you again for stopping by. We wish you all the best in the future of your career. Have a good one.